Well, welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melbert. My name is Harold Nickel. Agile's emergence as a global movement extends beyond software development. Agile's popularity is driven by the discovery that its benefits are not isolated to software developers. Among other things, Agile enables people and organizations to master continuous change, make smaller mistakes earlier on a smaller scale, and engage customers at the development level regardless of the product or service. It permits firms to flourish in a world that is increasingly volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Those are all really good things. But as everyone knows, one size does not fit all. Is industry taking Agile too far? What are the limits of Agile's effectiveness, and what are the warning signs that the Agile effort inside your organization is on the brink of failure. To help us with that is the Guardian, Ren Melberg. And Ren, I imagine that all of the regular listeners to the podcast know what Agile is and its background. But for the sake of those who are new, can you just give us a real quick description? Sure. Um, Agile is a... uh principles and values-driven methodology that really focuses on collaboration, continuous improvement, Mm -hmm. and um, really engagement with our customers. So the, the focus of Agile is delivering business value with higher quality and faster. Okay, so where or why did the idea that Agile methodologies could be used for different types of projects other than software, how did that get started? I think it was really based on need and exposure. So software by itself isn't going to be really meaningful to a customer without marketing and everything else around it, like Mm -hmm. even organizational readiness, like making sure users know how to use your software, right? Right, right. And it really is focused on business value. Whether that business value is, like I said, marketing or HR or financial reports, in our current environment, we need all of those with quality and we need them delivered faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need them to be innovative as well. So the same old marketing campaign that worked 20 years ago doesn't work today. That's true. And so we need ways to find out what does. And it, it really took people taking the manifesto and thinking, does this really mean software and exclusively software, which you will hear people argue, mm-hmm. or does it mean software in terms of a product right. and business value? And it seems that most of the agile community has interpreted the the manifesto to mean product and business value. You know, we've talked before here on the podcast about some of those places where Agile was successfully used in these non-software applications. Marketing, which you mentioned a moment ago, was Mm -hmm. one. Healthcare administration was another. And you even did a program about household chore management called Living La Vida Agile. Mm-hmm. But there are examples where Agile was just not the right fit, not the right approach. Can you tell us about those? 
There have been some. So um, large manufacturing projects, for instance. Manufacturing in general really wants to be able to apply more agile methods, but has been struggling in that area. Where they have been successful is with lean. Mm-hmm. Lean's been very successful in manufacturing. And we're still seeing improvements, but still some struggles around human resources mm-hmm. and uh, budgeting and finance. Those are areas that, that continue to kind of struggle applying the agile principles and values. What I've read about places where Agile was not a good fit were places where significant numbers of employees were not prepared to learn from their mistakes, really didn't have a culture of that rapid build, test, learn, test again with teams going at different speeds or where senior Mm -hmm. management just wasn't involved. Are these symptoms, are these kinds of things confined to big organizations alone? No, and also I I would argue those aren't about agile; those are about change management. Okay. So any time that an organization decides to change how they're doing business, there needs to be some change management process mm-hmm. involved to take people along. So changing the culture, changing rewards and recognition, changing how executives and leadership interact with people and the way they ask for information, the way they manage the company as a whole. So, for instance, if your executive leadership team is still reading utilization reports Mm -hmm. while you're supposed to be an agile organization or you're trying to transform to an agile organization, you're not going to get there. Because utilization, which is how many hours am I billing and clocking, Right. right, is antithetical to Agile. It also isn't focusing on the same thing that Agile is focused on. Agile is trying to, to um, deliver as much business value as we can. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't require a huge number of hours. And actually, if we're doing it right, it doesn't require a huge number of hours. And so utilization is rewarding behavior that actually can undermine delivering business value in an agile organization. So that isn't so much about a a flaw, if you will, Mm -hmm. in agile, but it's, it's, it's more indicative of an organization that hasn't really thought through this, Mm -hmm. hasn't embraced top to bottom with this transformation means and probably doesn't have a change management process in place. That's um, that's well said. It's kind of what I was thinking going through this was um, it's not indicative that the methodology is not is not any good. It just means that kind of like you said, they haven't really laid the groundwork for right. uh, implementing it. You know, too, and I've worked in big organizations and you have too. And what I know is most folks just aren't comfortable exposing their mistakes, um, Mm -hmm. particularly in the workplace where Agile insists on transparency with an emphasis on the value of learning from mistakes. How can that tendency to want to hide, cover up mistakes, be overcome and make Agile groups and companies learning organizations? 
Well, and that's where the change management is so key in helping to change the culture. And you'll often see in agile organizations, they have rewards for the person who made the biggest mistake, the sprint. Um, So that, that completely changes it, right? Because in a traditional organization, it's very command and control, right? Right. If you make a mistake, you're punished. In an agile organization, if you make a mistake and you are transparent about that and you learn something about it or and you present an opportunity for other people to learn from it, then you're rewarded. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is a complete opposite, right, culture. Right. Um, and the other thing is we don't really, in agile, what is a mistake is a very narrow uh, number of activities. It means that we didn't learn anything from it. We didn't get any value mm-hmm. from it. So if you have tests that didn't pass, but we know why they didn't pass, that's not a mistake. Those aren't defects. Hmm. And that's really hard to get people in a truly command and control culture to understand that there are very few true mistakes. And when we think about it in our real world, mm-hmm. that's how we already operate. When you think about how most of us um, relate to our friends, like if you trip on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. we don't socially ostracize you. Mm-hmm. Actually, we all have a good laugh about it, right? Yeah. Or if, you know, even if there is um, a, a, a flaw in the sidewalk that makes people trip. We laugh about it, but we also go, Hey, we have to get that fixed. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why don't we do work that way in the workplace? Well, that's a good question. Because yeah. it is, a, it's a much more sane way of interacting with human beings. And it's also a much more natural way for human beings to interact and relate with each other than to, try and be perfect because perfection is just not an option. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen. So why do we try and force people to try and be perfect? All we wind up doing is people hiding their mistakes and then they show up later and they cost us millions of dollars to fix yep. because we now have a very kludgy system that doesn't work right. Or we just exposed a security problem. You know, we just created a security problem, but no one's going to tell you that it's there because then they have to admit that there was a mistake, right? It's a very dysfunctional way of operating. And we've known this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And Lean and Agile have really kind of brought it to the forefront and said, stop being so anti-human. Let's (laughs) raise the... Let's Let's be sane about this. Yeah, I like because, the, the phrase anti-human. Um, yeah, it really is. And when, you, when you're trying to force people to be perfect, it's, uh, uh, it, it demands it's a new crazy. word instead of a flaw or a mistake, don't you think? Because it's just a natural well, part of development. And you see in, in organizations that are truly agile, they don't even talk about them that way. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. oh, look what I learned, or look what I discovered, or look what I found. It's, t- it's a, not even talked in terms of a flaw or a bug or a mistake. Right. 
It just yeah. isn't. And that's when you know, when you, when you meet people and you, and you see those organizations, that's how you know that that's an agile organization. Yeah, that's so well said. And um, would that we all worked in places where our mistakes weren't trotted out annually. Um, <laughs> of course, too, personal agendas and priorities are, are not always going to match the companies. And if you add to that the silo mentalities that oftentimes put departments into competition with each other instead of being focused on delivering successful products, this sounds like a really good reason to skip Agile and keep doing things the way we've always done them, or is it not? Well, it depends on your motivations, right? I mean, just because something is hard doesn't mean it isn't worth doing. And more often than not, the things that are hard are the things most work worth doing. Um, I always <laughs> think about going to college is very hard. Absolutely. But it's incredibly worth doing. Being married or in a romantic relationship is hard, but it's incredibly well worth doing. If we kind of try and apply the same logic and even the same just emotional reasoning to our work life that we do the rest of our life, I think we would find we would be making very different decisions at work. Um, because all of us choose to some degree or another in our personal lives to do things that are difficult or do things that are hard or to do things that are scary mm -hmm. because it's the right thing to do and it's worth it. Absolutely. But unfortunately we're not incentivized to do that at work all the time. It's and, the opposite. It's like you said, hide right. your mistake and hope you have a different job before somebody finds out. And take the path of least resistance and, you know, so it is, so forth, right? We all know um, these kind of dysfunctional behaviors that can come up in a workplace. Right. And they really aren't good for the business. I mean, we think of, we've talked about this before, the billions and literally, sadly, trillions of dollars that are wasted every year in business. Mm -hmm. And these are great examples when we... We've talked about all the cybersecurity breaches. Yes. And most of them, not all, but most of them are avoidable. And a lot of them, several of the ones we've talked about, were really because of the dysfunctional cultures that were going on mm -hmm. that drove their development behaviors. Right. And created these opportunities for bad things to happen. That's so true. Um it seems like a lot of culture could um, do with a tune-up, with or without the use of the use of agile. Very and I guess, true, yeah. And I guess too, Ren. Finally, um, with the the time we have remaining, um, you mentioned it before, but every change carries a cost. The pressure to mm -hmm. always deliver something can potentially trump the more thoughtful approach to development. So where's the boundary between frequent product delivery and taking enough time to consider what the customer really needs? That's, that's where a lot of our conversations in Agile come from around velocity. Because velocity is a couple of things. 
very different from speed, right? Mm -hmm. Velocity is speed in a direction. But also, velocity is supposed to be sustainable over long term. So what we see in, and this is very old, this is pre-agile, what we see in organizations that are dysfunctional and struggle is the, the work ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. So people will be insanely busy, and then they'll have nothing to do. And then crazy busy, and then nothing to do, right? Mm-hmm. And even before Agile, an organization that performed well were those that had a nice, sustainable work pace. Right. People could take vacations, you know, but people were working hard. They were still being challenged but they got to have a life. They weren't working 24 seven, right? Those organizations, first of all, they are able to retain, attract and retain high, high talent. If you have a crazy work environment, you're not going to be able to attract and or retain your highest performers. You're just not because no one wants, no one can stay in that insanity. The people who do are the people who don't have options to go elsewhere. Right. And those are usually not your best performers, right? Um, And so those companies tend to really struggle because they, they have these, this um, highly unpredictable um, business value. They just can't say definitively, we're going to have this done on X day. Right. Right. And they can't retain high performers and their attrition is higher than their competitors. So they tend to under, perform where and and that's why velocity really started to become important in agile was to take this pre-agile concept and really hammer it home at an individual and team level for companies and say look this is about keeping a nice easy and steady pace because when we do that your employees then have time to actually think about their work. Yes. They can do quality work consistently over time. Their work becomes predictable. And if you're doing this really well, highly predictable. And you can attract and retain and even develop high performers. But if your work environment is chaotic, you're not going to be able to do any of those things. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It's to go back to your tripping on the sidewalk example, it would be like, you know, blaming gravity for the fall instead of the flawed sidewalk to say that agile was the reason these things didn't go well when it was really the environment inside the inside the building. More often than not, and again, you know, I gave you some examples of which where agile has struggled. You know, another one that isn't intuitive is highly regulated industries, but you look at financial services, which is highly regulated, you know, they, they fight it out with healthcare who's more regulated and they figured it out. And because they were willing to sit down and collaborate and talk with their regulators Mm -hmm. and say, here's how we're doing this differently. And they started treating their regulators like customers. Now you talk to regulators and they prefer agile companies. Right, right. So even that, even though that was hard and that took 
probably a decade now I think about it <laughs> to to get to it has been really well worth it for the financial services industry and now we're looking at healthcare there's major healthcare companies insurance and providers are going agile which we've talked about before and now we're seeing FDA regulated companies starting to go agile and these were two industries that emphatically said they could not because we're so highly regulated and now they're going oh no we were wrong this is actually better and it's easier and our regulators like it better if we're agile yeah uh, that's um that's a very good place for us to to conclude the conversation this week on the podcast it just kind of goes back to culture and acceptance and willingness to as Ren has said to take on something that's difficult because the rewards on the other side are are much much larger and that the flaws that the critics of agile want to heap on it have way more to do with the character and cultural shortcomings inside some some companies and way less to do with agile and and its effectiveness now ren has appeared on yet another radio program and podcast the charles tendall show you can find a link to that program on ren's website which is www.renmelberg.com and it was another opportunity for Ren to discuss cybersecurity and Pokemon Go and diversity and Ren do you can you say a quick word about uh, about that to the to the audience Sure I mean we mostly talked about um, cybersecurity but um, it was kind of interesting Charles was interested in how um, how a woman got in, interested in cybersecurity and in, in, in the kind of roles it had in IT, because we talked about it on the show before, it's somewhat of a rarity, right? And that's how we got into a conversation about um, diversity. But also we started, and I like this a lot, we started talking about diversity thought and perspective and how that really informs teams. And how having a team of people with differing perspectives and ways of looking at things and solving problems can actually make some of your highest performing teams. Right. Right. And, and that's another way of thinking about diversity. Right? Not just absolutely. our usual check boxes, but also are do people look at this differently? How you know, and will they challenge each other um, and inform each other's perspectives? It was really, it was a fun conversation. He was really very bright yeah. um, and, 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 you know, incredibly well informed in the cybersecurity world. Um, I encourage people to check out his show. Yeah, and you might not recognize his name at first, but um, Charles has been on a lot of different cable news programs, cable news networks. Um, you might not recognize his name, but when you see him, you'll say, oh, yeah, I know who that is. So, And like Ren said, <laughs> um, the conversation, uh, it's very engaging. And, um, you know, both of you were, were well-informed and entertaining at the same time, which is a very, a very tough 
combination. So check that out on Ren's website again, renmelberg.com. And of course, thanks for listening. And remember to tell your friends about the Guardian Podcast and come back next time for another edition of the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. <laughs>